Well, good morning, friends. I am so excited this morning to tell you about our new summer theme and our new summer sermon series. We're calling it Connectability. Uh, you probably heard the word connectivity before, maybe not connectability. It, it's really a word, I didn't make it up. Connectivity means how two things are, are connected to each other, whereas connectability means how two things or more could be connected. They have the potential, the, the capacity for connection. It just felt like a good word for us after the strange season when I think a lot of us are feeling disconnected. Uh, since coronavirus hit, COVID-19, since we've had to uh, shelter in place and physically distance ourselves from one another, be socially distant, I think a lot of us feel disconnected, don't we? I know I do. I've been disconnected from routines. We've been disconnected from each other. Maybe you've been disconnected from, from family and friends. The office or school or activities, things that are important to you. And, and at least for me, when there's so many things that feel out of sync and abnormal, it feels like everything is a little disconnected. So this summer, we're hoping to help you develop abilities, all of us develop abilities to reconnect, to reconnect with God, to reconnect with uh, each other, and even more deeply with yourself. Uh, all of this is based on Jesus's teaching about the greatest commandment. Remember one day he was asked, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he, was, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now Jesus really is talking about connection, isn't he? What's the most important thing? Of all the commandments, what's the most important thing? Jesus says, connect. Connect through love. Then he talks about three different ways that we can be connected. There's a spiritual connection. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Then he talks about how we can connect with each other. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Three different ways that we're connected. Now, it probably seems obvious that Jesus connects love in the heart. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. We, we, we think about uh, at Valentine's Day, of course, you know, hearts and love, uh, particularly romantic love. But I think Jesus is saying more than what we might obviously think. First, he says, you must love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with all of your heart. That God doesn't desire uh, anything less than wholehearted love. But the second part is, I think, of particular interest. He doesn't just say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your whole heart. He goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all of your being, all of your mind, all of your strength. So Jesus must have understood that, that how we love God with our heart is only one dimension of how we love God. That, that also there's ways that we can love God with our minds. There's also ways that we can love God with our, our physical bodies and how we use them. Well, we'll be talking about this in the weeks to come. Today, I want us to just focus on 
What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your heart? Now, if we went back to the original Greek language in, in which the New Testament was written, we'd see that the word for heart is kardeos, kardeos. Uh, that's the word we get cardio, like when we do a cardio workout to get our heart pumping, or, or we go to the doctor, cardiologist, to, to check our hearts. Now, they clearly understood in biblical times that your heart is that organ in the center of your chest that pumps blood, that we need it to live. But they understood also that the heart is more than that. Like, so we understand, you know, the heart is... is is how we love, or at least we make that association, right? We, we don't mean it to be the exact same thing, but, but we use that expression. Well, they meant something a little differently in Jesus's day. In biblical times, and really through much of history, people believed that the heart was really the executive center of the body, the, the, the head office, the, the core of who we are. It's where thinking happens. It's where feeling happened. It's where decisions and commitments were made, whether they're good decisions or good commitments or not. They originated in the heart. I think that's why the Bible talks so much about the heart and, and what we need to do with our hearts. That's why the Bible talks about loving and serving God wholeheartedly, not not half-heartedly or not having divided hearts or wicked hearts. That's why the Bible talks so much about guarding our hearts, protecting our hearts, because what goes on there is so important. Uh, the Bible talks about having a hard heart or the strange term, having an uncircumcised heart or having a heart of stone that needs to be replaced with a heart of flesh. Uh, the New Testament says that, that the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts like a temple. The Bible talks about keeping our hearts pure and loving, serving, following God with, with all of our hearts. You see, because they understood that the central importance of the heart, that we needed to have a well-guarded, protected heart given fully to God. Now, we, we need to acknowledge that, that uh, our hearts direct our lives biblically speaking, for good or ill. You know, to love God with all of our hearts means to love God from the deepest core of who we are. Now that includes a lot of things. We could talk about a lot of things, but I want us to focus this morning in particular on the role of emotions. Uh, we, we, could, we could focus on, on what it means that the heart is the place of the decision and the will, but I want us to just focus today on what does it mean to love God with our feelings and emotions as understanding loving God from the heart. Now, now you might think, well, love is a feeling. Isn't that what it means? Well, that's true. We, we, we feel love. But it's also possible to, to love uh, without that feeling, that really love is about altruism and action. It's about service. It's about commitment. It's about forgiveness. It's about loyalty. It's, it's possible to love someone without having that feeling of love. And so feelings are more than just just love. In fact, there's, there's a whole broad array of ways that we feel in the heart that can be part of how we love God. 
psychologists have determined that there are 27 different human emotions. They range from, from positive to negative, from admiration to boredom to fear to sadness to desire to surprise and lots in between. Um, and if that seems like a lot of feeling or emotion, uh, back in 1980, a psychologist by the name of Robert Plutchik um, identified first eight core emotions, joy, sadness, trust, disgust, fear, anger, anticipation, and surprise. He said those were our core emotions. But because we feel uh, varying degrees of those emotions, because sometimes different emotions kind of come together in a, in a common experience, Pluchik actually identified 34,000 different unique emotions. He, he developed a tool called the Emotion Wheel, you can find it online, to help people describe what they're feeling. Now, now, where did all those emotions come from? God. God created our, our hearts with the capacity to feel deeply in a broad variety of ways. Now, we need to acknowledge not every feeling or emotion is necessary, necessarily positive or helpful or loving. Um, acting on every emotion or feeling or impulse can potentially get us into lots of trouble. That doesn't mean feelings are bad. It just means what we do with them is so important. One of my favorite quotes is by an author named Dallas Willard. He says, feelings are good servants, but they are disastrous masters. I want to say that again. Feelings are good servants, but they are disastrous masters. What he means is that if we just act on every impulse, if we act on every feeling, well, we're going we're gonna to make a real mess of things. But at the same time, it means that you, you don't just shove your feelings aside. Feelings are, are sort of like a barometer. You, you need to know what's going on inside so that then you can decide how to act. Just because I feel something in the moment doesn't mean I should do it. You understand what I mean by that. I don't, I, just because I'm angry doesn't mean I should speak in anger or act in anger. But it also doesn't mean that I can just shove that anger away. I need to acknowledge it so that I can then make a decision of what to do with that emotion, to acknowledge it and to figure out how to work with it. One of the reasons I love the, the book of Psalms so much is that it's so honest about emotions. You'll find every human emotion expressed in the Psalms from, from a person to God. Listen to these, Psalm 13, 1. How long will you forget me, Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 74, 1. God, why have you abandoned us forever? Psalm 90, 15, make us happy for the same amount of time that you afflicted us. Do you hear that? I mean, that's just, it's just raw. There's, there's hurt in that. There's anger in that. God, I feel let down. God, you've mistreated me. I love that the psalmist can be so honest. Now, now it's at all negative. The psalmist also says some really beautiful, warm, loving things. Psalm 16, 9, 
My heart celebrates. My mood is joyous. Yes, my whole body will rest in safety. Psalm 92, 4. Because you have made me happy, I sing with joy. Psalm 66, 3. My lips praise you because your faithful love is better than life itself. You see that the broad array of human emotions all brought into the relationship with God. The, the psalmist doesn't just go to God when he's happy or, or uh, grateful. He goes to God with everything. He brings into the relationship every feeling. Whether that feeling is actually true or not, whether God is actually guilty of the one things that, that he's accusing God of, he's being honest with God about his feelings. Now, we see the same in Jesus, don't we? You know the story where Jesus goes into the temple and starts throwing tables. He's angry. You probably remember some of the interactions he had with the Pharisees. It was, they, were, they were stern. Even sometimes with the disciples, Jesus became frustrated and impatient. But then in other times, you see such kindness, such, such warmth, such compassion. Uh, we even see when his friend Lazarus is dead that, that, he, that he cries. Jesus displays for us the full breadth, the, 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 the fullness of human emotion and feeling. I even think Jesus had a sense of humor. There's some of the stories he tells that, that in that day would have been kind of like jokes. You could imagine him smiling and laughing as he told them. I think what, what Jesus is saying to us in this commandment to love God with our whole hearts is he's saying, bring the fullness of your emotion to God. All 34,000 emotions, bring all of that into your relationship with God. Feel your relationship with God. That's part of how we connect, stay connected with God. If we don't, if we think, well, I'm only able to be connected with God when I'm happy or feeling affectionate or grateful, then we leave out this whole other part of our lives that then becomes disconnected spiritually. Uh, let, let me give you an example. Uh, the founder of the Methodist movement, of which we are a part, was a man by the name of John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley was an Englishman. He was an Anglican priest. Uh, he was an Oxford scholar, so an intellectual. He was deeply religious. But we know from his journals, his diaries, that early in his life, he really struggled with his relationship with God, not sure that he was saved, not sure that, that when he died, if, if God would, would welcome him into eternity. He struggled and tried in many ways to sort of earn his place with God, often leading to some kind of disastrous events in his life. Well, one night in, um, in May on the 24th in 1738, he was invited to a Bible study that he didn't really want to go to, uh, but he went, and late in the evening, something profound happened to him. This, this is a writing uh, from his journal from that same night. He said, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. At about quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, 
I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Well, scholars mark that as a turning point from him, that, that he went from someone who, who really struggled in his relationship with God to someone who was the founder of, of a great religious movement because of a change of heart. He actually is describing here a physical, emotional sensation. He felt his heart and his chest grow warm as he heard these words that God loved him and accepted him. And that changed everything. Uh, he used the, the term assurance. He said, an assurance was given me that he had taken away my son. And Wesley, over time, came to believe that that feeling, it's a feeling of assurance, was normative. That, that it was normal for every Christian to come to a place where we felt God's love and affirmation. It's called the gift of assurance. Now this is interesting. Uh, there, there are a lot of people who study the journals of John Wesley and the, the Methodist movement. And scholars have identified three major themes in how Wesley understood our connection with God. Uh, you've probably heard some of these terms. The first one is orthodoxy. And orthodoxy just means right belief. Uh, ortho is correct, doxology is belief. Um, so, so orthodoxy, I believe with my head the right things. Number two, orthopraxy. Praxy meaning practice, that there's a right way to practice our faith. So you're going to church, reading your Bible, uh, serving others, orthopraxy. But then a third, orthopathy. Ortho again being right, but, but pathy being like pathos, right feelings, that there is a feeling associated with being in relationship with God. And I want you to think about this for a moment. There's a lot of us that are, that are comfortable with intellectualizing our faith, that, that we believe the right things, that we've read the right books, that we understand what the, the creed teaches and so forth and so on. There's some of us who are, are really comfortable with the practice of Christianity. I go to church, I receive communion, I serve on a committee, I go to Sunday school, I, I uh, volunteer, I help the community, I put my faith into practice. Well, Wesley says that, that it also includes feeling, that gift of assurance, that there's a right way to feel in our relationship with God. And I really think that's part of the genius of Christianity. We're not all about emotion, but we include emotion. We're not all about intellect, just right belief. We're not all just about doing. We bring all three together in connection and harmony. It's about all three. And our emotions are a big part of that. Now, let's be honest. Uh, some of us are more comfortable with our emotions than others. Some of us are more thinkers. Some of us are more feelers. Some of us are more left brain. Some of us are more right brain. I, I tend to be a feeler. Feeling comes more easily to me. Other people, a little, little less comfortable expressing emotion, a little less familiar with, with the language of emotion. 
So here's the test. You, you might ask somebody that's with you there or, or some of you talked to this week, uh, how they feel, how are you feeling? Uh, they might just tell you, well, I, I feel healthy, you know, just how I'm feeling today, well, I'm a little tired. Um, if you say, well, well, what, you know, emotionally, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm hungry. You know, they, they might just have kind of a narrow kind of uh, limited vocabulary around their emotions where other people, you know, they'll give you kind of a, a, a long litany of expression of this, this is how I'm feeling. Well, what I want to encourage all of you to do, whether you're on the, the thinking side of things or on the feeling side of things, is to consider the full breadth of your feeling and emotions as you connect with God. So I want to give you a, a, an ability to try out this week. Each week we're going to give you one, just, just a little experiment. I want to challenge you to go look up the emotion wheel or the feelings wheel that I mentioned earlier. Uh, you can just Google it, feelings wheel, and you'll find uh, the, the diagram that shows it. Here's what I want you to do. Take a look at that and, and just read over the words. You don't have to read all 34,000, of course. Start in the middle and just kind of work your way out. Just start picking words that describe how you've been feeling lately. Not just in this moment, just but when you think about maybe the season of, of connection or disconnection, coronavirus, what are some of the words that represent how you've been feeling? Maybe just circle them on the chart, print it out, just circle them. And then think about how have those feelings been affecting you spiritually? And what you might want to consider doing, what you've just kind of reflected on that, is, is take that to God. You might actually want to write out a prayer. Say, God, I've been feeling. And just let it out. Just to share that with God. Share your heart with God. Let that be a way you connect with God this week with your emotions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. We'll be talking in the weeks to come about how we can love God in other ways. But this week, just get in touch with what you're feeling and bring that before the Lord.